Welcome to Gateway Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Gateway Church Doncaster in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information about Gateway Church, please visit our website, gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk. Thank you for listening. Let's open your Bibles, please, to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9, reading from verse 2 through to verse 29. Mark chapter 9, reading from verse 2 through to verse 29. I'm reading from the New King James Version. Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James and John and led them up on a high mountain apart from themselves. And he was transfigured before them. His clothes became shining exceedingly white like snow, such as no launderer on earth could whiten them. And Elijah appeared to them with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Because he did not know what to say, for they were greatly afraid. And a cloud came and overshadowed them. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son, hear him. Suddenly, when they had looked around, they saw no one anymore, but only Jesus with themselves. Now as they came down from the mountain, he commanded them that they should not tell no one the things they had seen till the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept his word to themselves, questioning what the rising from the dead meant. And they asked him, saying, Why did the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Then he answered and told them, Indeed, Elijah is coming first and restores all things. And now it is written concerning the Son of Man that he must suffer many things and be treated with contempt. But I say to you that Elijah has also come, and they did to him whatever they wished, as it is written of him. And when he came to his disciples, he saw a great multitude around them and scribes disputing with them. Immediately, when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed, and running to him, greeted him. And he asked the scribes, What are you discussing with them? Then one of the crowd answered and said, Teacher, I brought you my son. He he has a mute spirit, and wherever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. He answered him and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. Then they brought him to him, and when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. So he asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And as often as he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him, but if you can do anything... Have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said to him, If you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, Deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. And the spirit cried out, convulsed greatly, and came out of him. And he became as one dead. 
so that many said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and, and he arose. And when he had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. Amen. I've been really looking forward to being here this morning, just to have fellowship, because I'm always pleased to meet people that I'm going to be spending eternity with. So it's, you know, it's better to get you, you know, get on a good foot from the very beginning. And I thought, right, what I'll do is I'll preach on unity, because it's a, a, we're in unity here, we're in union with businesses from different backgrounds, but the Lord won't let me. He put a sermon on my heart about three weeks ago, and it came as... A result is I was reading this book and I shared something of this with the congregation a few weeks ago. It's about a chap called Smith Wigglesworth. I don't know if any of you have heard of him. And while I was reading it, I got rebuked from the Lord because I read something and I didn't believe it. I, I laughed in my heart at what I read. And the, and the incident was where this pastor had two wooden legs. I've heard that story, and it was told by Smith Wigglesworth to go down to the cobblers, get his hand some new shoes, and his legs grew back. And when I read that, in my heart, I, I laughed because I didn't believe it happened. And this has been going on in my head for a couple of weeks, and I'm preaching to myself. You often do, don't you? But when a preacher preaches, more times than not, he's preaching to himself. Why are the prayers of Christians not always answered? We've got access to the throne of heaven. We've got access to the centre of the universe. We've got access to the being who controls all things. Matthew 7, 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. John chapter 16, verses 23 24. The Lord Jesus himself. And in that day you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. John 16:26. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I shall pray for the Father for you. So I, I'm, I'm thinking, as I'm as a Christian for so many years, why is it at times that the prayers of Christians appear not to get answered? Well, there could be any number of reasons. If you know your Bible, there's these reasons which are there in the New Testament to warn us, to encourage us, and to give us wisdom in the matter of prayer. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 12. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. 1 Peter 3 7. Husbands likewise dwell with them with understanding, giving honour to the wife, as to the wicker vessel, as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. We've got advice there, you know, we have, we have to walk righteous before the Lord, our prayers will be answered, and we're to be getting on with our wives. The devil knows this, this is why Sunday mornings he'll try to cause this a bit of trouble between husband and wife. This is an issue to pray for, he'll try to stir up trouble between husband and wife, because there in the scriptures we read that our prayers can be hindered if our relationship with our spouse isn't as it should be. Well, what about James in chapter 4 verses 2 and 3? You lust and do not have, you murder and covet and cannot obtain. And he's speaking to Christians here. You lust and do not have, you murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss, 
that you may spend it on your pleasures. Well, that's obvious to us. From any Christian seeking to walk with the Lord and reading their scripture, those verses are obvious that this sort of behaviour can hinder our prayers. But I want to look at unbelief this morning. Unbelief in the hearts of Christians. What's faith? Well, faith by definition, by the biblical definition in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It's the confident assurance that what we hope for is going to happen. And it's the evidence of the things we can't see. Faith is belief. And the opposite of faith is unbelief. Sounds a bit obvious. If you'd like to turn to our reading that we've just read in Matthew chapter 9, verse 24. And it's the words of the father. It's this incident with this father who was suffering because his son was demon-possessed. Verse 24, Mark 9. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. That's today's text. You know the African impala, that's like a... A gazelle with big horns. They're about that high, about three and a half foot high. They can jump nine foot. They can jump nine foot. That's about that high, nine foot. But if ever you go to the zoo, you'll see them. They're in a compound, and the wall's about four foot high. Yet these animals can jump nine foot. You know why they don't jump over the wall? Because they never jump where they can't see where they're going to land. They have to be able to see where they're going to land. They won't jump blind. They haven't got the faith to think there's some concrete or there's, a, uh, there's somewhere safe to, to land, so I'm away. Unless they can see where they are going to land, they won't jump. Well, we can be like that as Christians. We can be like that as people of God. There's that old famous illustration where there's a tightrope walker over Niagara Falls. And he's got a wheelbarrow. It changes from church to church, but he's got a wheelbarrow. And I like to say that in the wheelbarrow, he's got a 30-ston balloon filled with water. Like this. And he puts his 30-ston balloon in this wheelbarrow, and he goes across Niagara Falls. He comes back, and he goes back again. And he says to you, do you believe I can put you in the wheelbarrow and carry you across? And you've just seen him take a 30 stone wobbly balloon over there and you yes, get in then. And that's the difference. We've got to get in the wheelbarrow of God. We believe, we say, yeah, I believe God can do that. But inside we laugh a little bit. We have this unbelief, I'm sure we do. I'm sure, I have, this book spoke to me, I, I could have cried when the Lord, ha ha, look. Well, what's in your heart, Stephen? Consider that statement of that man. He said to Jesus, I believe, but help my unbelief. How many times have you heard Christians say, I believe that God can do that. I believe he can do it. But there's always a book somewhere either there or in your heart. You've always got this book, this get out clause in your aspirations or your expectations of what God will and can do in your life. And this man in our text, he summarised our condition as Christians. We believe, but we need God to help our unbelief. None of us 
are where God wants us to stay. He's moving us all on in his sovereign plan. From the day he first put his hand to create the universe, he had a plan for all of his people. And we're involved in that whether we like it or not. And we're not where he wants us yet. He's got to move us on. He will move us on. He's the author and the finisher, as we said earlier. The greatest obstacle to spiritual growth in the life of Christians is lack of faith, or faltering faith, or unbelief, whatever you want to call it. See, this man was saying, he was saying, in essence, although he believed what Jesus was able to do, he still had in his heart unbelief. And he was facing up to the fact that he had this faltering faith. He was facing up to the fact he had lack of faith. And through it, through facing up to the truth of his own unbelief, and confessing it to the Lord, he received a blessing. I just want to examine his statement a little bit deeper. First and foremost, this man was honest. He was honest with himself, and he was honest before God. We can wear faces, you know, can't we? Uh, the old, the old um, mask, what the, you know, the Actors Guild, they have a mask, because they have so many different masks for actors. Well, we're all actors, in different levels, in different degrees. And we can even act to ourselves, we can even fool ourselves, but we can never fool God. God knows our failings, he knows our weaknesses, he knows our hypocrisy. And this man is being honest with himself, and he's being honest with God. He says, yes Lord, I believe you can do it. And he's like, I think. Yes, I believe, there's part of me believe, but there's all this, this unbelief there with me. He's saying, I believe in your power. Well, I want to believe in your power. And we're, we're like that, at different levels of the spiritual walk. Different levels of the Christian walk. What good would it have done him if he had claimed complete belief? Yes, yes, I, I believe he can do it. Jesus would have seen for him straight away. So we have to admire this man's honesty. He knows his weakness and he goes to the Lord and he confesses it. And this is what the disciples had to learn time and time again. They weren't as strong in their faith as they thought they were. In fact, the case in point here, they couldn't deliver this demon from this young man. We can talk all day about our faith in God, but we have to be honest with ourselves that at times when doubts come in and we fool ourselves, but we will never fool God. So the first thing I would say this morning, we have to be honest about it. We have to be honest about this. This is why this, that little bit rebuked me. Because I could have just read that a bit, laughed at it, and then moved on and forgot about that unbelief I had in my heart. But God didn't let me stop there. What's that? And I had to admit it to myself that I had an issue. And the second thing, and I've touched on it briefly, we have to be aware of it. It's not all about being honest. We have to be aware that we have got this area. And it will be different areas in each of our lives. So this man identified the problem. He had a measure of faith in Jesus, but he knew he had to have more. It's even more evident in the original language. What Jesus actually says to him is a mild rebuke. 
in verse 22, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us, and then Jesus responds, if you can believe, all things are possible. If you can believe, there's a little bit of a rebuke there. If you can believe it, you need it. If you can believe it, believe it, do it. Could God this morning, could the Sovereign Lord be saying something this morning to any of us here? He's certainly speaking to me. Where's your faith? Why isn't your faith where it needs to be so God can do what he wants to do in your life? Could God be saying to any of us today, you need more faith in me? We have faith in him. I'm assuming we're all Christians this morning. I'm assuming we've all come into a saving relationship. God hasn't saved us for us to stop where we are. I don't know your life. I know that those who are members of our congregation, but generally this is the beauty of coming to a new congregation. And Owen's not filming in on any of your background, so you're all strangers to me, apart from my gang. I don't know your life. God does. There is some area in your life that you know God has got his spotlight on, and he's telling you to deal with it. To trust him in it. He's saying to you, walk this way and not that way. And I often say, my congregation will tell you, I often say, we haven't got to forget who and what we are dealing with here. This isn't a game. We are dealing with the holy, awesome, majestic creator of the universe. This is his universe. That's what we're dealing with. And the beauty of it, he loves us. And he is our heavenly father. And he delights to bless his children and he delights to increase our faith because it brings glory to him which, which is what it's all about and we're going to go through difficult times none of us are promised easy time but God tells us walk in my way walk in my statutes trust me so I don't know what's going on in your life let me give you an example let's say you're not being as honest as you should be in the area of finance Maybe there's some little side like, I, I don't know. And maybe that you, you, you fear being completely legitimate because you won't earn as much money. This is the way of the world. The way of the world shouldn't be in the church. But it is sometimes. I don't know. I'm just using it as an example. And God is saying, walk my way. I will bless you more than you can even imagine. And I say it regularly. None of us are ever any poorer by giving things over to God. We are always the richer. We never ever come off worse by giving things over to God. And so in every area of our life, every single area, God is saying, trust me, don't be like the impala, jump, because I'm on the other side. I'll carry you forward. Romans 8.28, one of my favourite verses, and we know that all things work together for good for those who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose. That's who we are dealing with. That is the being who controls the universe. That all things, even the horrible, rubbish, detestable things that happen to us, the things we hate, the pain, the torment, the loss, the mourning, the grieving, all things, some way, work for God's wisdom and God's sovereignty for our good. Getting back to our text, I've gone off a bit there. This man's statement, it was driven from a sincere desire. Look at the manner in which he made his request to Jesus, verse 24. 
And the father of the child cried out with tears. It was absolutely desperate. It was at his wit's end. I mean, there's probably no worse feeling of desperation when it involves your children or a loved one. It's awful feeling helpless. But sometimes, God has to bring us to that point in order to help us. We are, God sometimes has to bring us to a point of despair in order for us to, fill it, for us to fully reach out to him. It's that old story where the lamb to the sheep falls off the edge of the cliff and the shepherd goes and has a look and it's about nine foot down and the sheep's bleating and he walks away. And the following day he goes and he looks down and the sheep's still bleating still and he walks away. This went on for three days until the sheep were that weak and that helpless that the shepherd knew it wouldn't struggle. And then he went down and picked it up. And sometimes God in his sovereignty has to bring us to a point where we're not going to struggle against him. That we're at our wit's end. That we're absolutely desperate. Because sometimes when we are at the most desperate point in our lives, it puts things into the correct perspective. We start to get our priorities right. We can see more clearly. The world loses its attractiveness. The flesh loses its hold on us. And we see that eternal spiritual things are more important. See, it's easy to say that we're faith in God when it's all blue skies and sunshine. But when tragedy and heartache, when trials come, then we see, don't we? That's the test of faith. But look what's happening here. This man, he came face to face with his failings. He came face to face with his faltering faith. And we have to, we have to be like him. We have to face up to our unbelief, face up to our doubt. Admit we've got a problem. And when we humbly confess to God, then we're giving over. We're giving the problem to him. Lord, I believe, but I've got this area of unbelief in my life. I admit it. I confess it. Help me. What did Jesus do? Well, what didn't he do? Jesus didn't say, sorry, you haven't got enough faith. Jesus didn't say, you need more faith, come back later. Or he didn't say, oh, I'm sorry, but a miracle can only happen if you've got a certain amount of faith. No. Jesus cast the demon out. And this man had his heart's desire for his son. He was desperate, he was crying out. He admitted his lack of faith. And Jesus had mercy on him. And that man had a great blessing that day. The other week, last week, I preached on Revelation chapter 4 verse 11. Which reads, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honour and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. What we learned last week about that verse is that God didn't, some, in, in times past, create the universe, wind it up, and then leave it, and then every now and again intercede in history. No, that verse teaches that God created the universe in the past and every second by second he sustains it. That God is intimately involved in his creation. Even now, all our cells, all our atoms, all our molecules are being held by the conscious will of our creator. That's our God. And he is asking all of us, believe this, trust me. God can do all things. 
God didn't create the universe to leave it alone. He didn't send his son to die in our place so that we can live our own life. Jesus Christ died so that we can live for his glory, that we can show the people out there that there is a creator who loves us. And there's nothing too hard for God. And yet times, at times we have this unbelief in our hearts. Like that book, we laugh at sometimes. We have to be wise. Is anything too hard for God? Is anything in our life, if any situation we are in, is anything too hard? No. And we'll admit that. No, nothing too hard. But do we fully, fully believe it? Do we fully believe it to say, okay, your way. I confess to the Lord, I, I've got doubt here. I've got a lack of belief here. Deal with it. Let me go your way. Remember Sarah, Abraham's wife. The couple were told, when they were past it, that they were going to be parents. Genesis 18, verse 12. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I have grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord, being old also? And in verses 13 and 14, and the Lord said to Abraham, Why does Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I surely bear a child since I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? And that's what I would rebuke with. Why do you laugh? Don't you think I can go about legs? I created the universe. You think I don't do it today? You think I can't do it today? This is what we're dealing with. This is the power of God. Do you think God is any less powerful now? As he was? No. God is so... It's us in our smallness. We can make God into our view of God and not the biblical God. The biblical God does miracles in the life of his people because it brings glory to him. Let me just back up. I'm not like Ken Dodd, you know. Let <laughs> I me mean, just back up a little. Our chapter began there with a wonderful mountaintop experience of Peter, John and James. It must have been absolutely amazing. I'm sure most of us would have loved to have been there to see Jesus showing something of his glory when he was transfigured. Almost science fiction stuff into upper mountain. Amazing. And then they came down the mountain and they're into this situation. And I'm sure all of us would love to, and I'll use a, an analogy, I'm sure all of us would love to have mountaintop experiences throughout our Christian life. These are the spiritual heights. The times when God is moving in powerful ways. When your confidence is high. When you're positive, when you've got that I can do it attitude. When you've got a real sense of the presence of God with you. When your relationship with God is passionate. There's an excitement about that sort of, those sort of times. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. We love those times. But someone said, we sometimes have the mountaintop experiences so we can go into the valleys. And valleys lead to other mountains. To get from this mountain top to that mountain top, I've got to go down into a valley where it's dark. It can be hard work. It's the valleys we don't like. Human nature, we, 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 we like it easy. We like to be filled with joy, but we don't like tragedy. We don't like pain. It's those times, though, when it's dark, when we can't see the way, when doubts creep in. The devil likes to work in the valleys. He also likes to work on the mountaintops as well, but that's another sermon. And when we're in the valleys, anxiety can come in and fear can come in. 
And it can be long, it can be discouraging. And we start to struggle. Just look at the twelve disciples of Jesus. They were average men. Just like you know, working class men, average. They saw firsthand the miracles that Jesus had performed. They saw Jesus calm the storm. Peter walked on water. What an experience. They saw people being healed. They saw dead people being raised. They saw demons being cast out. At one time they fed 5,000 plus women and children. Another time 4,000. Peter and John on the mountain. Jesus gave the disciples the authority over demons. What an amazing time they're having. Talk about spiritual eyes. It was like one after another. Bang, bang, bang. For three years they were having these wonderful times. And then we pick up this story in Mark 9. In verse 14. The disciples were arguing with the religious leaders and the scribes. Because things started to go a bit bad for the disciples. For some reason, this argument had de developed. And we can reason why. If you look at the context, they couldn't cast a demon out of this boy, this young man. So I, I can imagine what's happened. The enemies of Jesus will say, Aha! Where's your faith? Where's your authority? Why isn't God using you? If you are what you say you are, if Jesus is who you claim he is, if he has given you authority, why is that demon not leaving? And you can imagine what's going through the minds of the disciples. They seem powerless. Why does God not answer us? Why have we no power? And this would be wound up, they would be wound up by the scribes pointing and arguing. And then Jesus came on the scene. And Jesus said, what are you arguing about? So we can imagine that's what it must have been about. Because the father of the boy straight away jumps in and says, my son is a mute spirit. And he explains about his son. So we can assume that this must have been the basis of the argument. The disciples couldn't help him. And so they've been ridiculed and attacked by the scribes. Must have been a bad time for the disciples. Powerless in the face of the people who were against them. They were unable to free this young man from this demon. They believed they could. They'd done it before. But now they couldn't. They'd failed. Jesus had chosen them. He had trained them. He'd given them authority over the powers of darkness. He'd given them wonderful personal experiences. And he'd gone away for a little while. And for some reason, something went wrong. And they couldn't help this young man. And we know from Jesus' word what the problem was. Oh, faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. Faith. Lack of faith. For some reason, the disciples lack faith in that situation. And there's two things which I'm going to mention this morning. Because I don't know those of you who know the Lord or, or not. And nothing's changed from that day. As far as Jesus is concerned. Jesus confronts unbelief. He confronts it first in the unbeliever. Those who are outside of his kingdom. If you're not a Christian this morning. Jesus is confronting you. With all the truths of the gospel. He is the son of God. Born of the virgin. Lived that perfect life. Died that sacrificial death on the cross. Was resurrected on the third day. And even now is in glory interceding for his people that's the truth and Jesus confronts you with that this morning but if you are a Christian 
If you have come into a saving relationship, if you have got the inner witness of the Holy Spirit, if you are born again, Jesus still confronts unbelief in our life. God is pleased when we act in faith. But we grieve the Spirit when we disbelieve. And you, when I read that, you know when you grieve the Spirit. You know when you're doing something you shouldn't do. You know when you're watching or listening to something you shouldn't do. And I was reading a book, Christian book, I was being spiritual. And then I grieved the Spirit. I got a rebuke. Because of a lack of faith. We've been preaching, I've been preaching the last few weeks, that as Christians, it doesn't matter about your doctrinal background, but as Christians, we all need the power of Pentecost in our lives. We need the power, we need the anointing, we need the, the baptism, the infilling, the empowering of the Spirit, whatever term you're more comfortable with. And Jesus instructs us in Luke, in Luke chapter 11, that if you ask God, how much more will he give you the Holy Spirit? Because you're his children. If your parents will give you what he asked, and they're evil, how much more will God give the Spirit to those who ask? So why are some prayers not answered? Why are we not receiving Pentecostal power in the church in 2007? Why are not 3,000 people being converted on a daily basis in Doncaster? Is it because of unbelief? I don't know. We need to reflect, we need to confess, we need to look at our heart attitudes before God. It could be. Because unbelief is powerless. There's no power in unbelief. With unbelief you cannot succeed against Satan. With unbelief you cannot overcome sin. And unbelief doesn't please God. It's faith. It's faith in God and God who overcomes. The valid times are going to come into our lives. We're going to go down into the valleys. We're not immune from life's ups and downs. We've got to trust God. We have to trust God in every single area of our lives. All things work for our good. Believe it. Take it into your hearts and trust God. The valleys are opportunities, you know. The valleys are opportunities to glorify God in the darkest places. None of us are going to be immune from life's ups and downs. Take two people, put them in exactly the same situation, and the person of God will glorify God in that circumstance. Look at Job. None of us will ever go through what Job went through. He lost his children, he lost his health, he lost everything. And what word came out of his mouth? Praise God. He was praising God even in those circumstances. He was in the valley, and he was praising God. And yet, he, if you know your book of Job, he still had a lot to learn. There was still unbelief and doubt in his life. It's only when we can't see, it's only when we don't know how things are going to unfold can we start to trust God. We have to be not like the empire. We have to jump where we can't see. I don't know why the disciples failed in that instance. Jesus touched upon the possibility that it was faith. What's important, I think, from that text this morning is that the words of that young man's father, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. And if we're honest with ourselves and we're honest with God, we can all say that in some area of our life. And when we start to admit it to ourselves and take it to God in prayer, then God will start working. He'll start dealing with it. 
How many times have you said to your loved one, what do you tell me? Why don't you tell me how to sort of it? God knows our problem, but he wants us to wake up and smell the coffee, so to speak. And Jesus healed the boy. The man confessed he didn't believe enough, but Jesus still healed him. Because it's all about the glory of God. In closing then, I've said earlier that none of us will ever be any poorer by giving things over to God. We'll always be richer as we surrender more and more of our lives. And what prevents us is this lack of belief, this lack of trusting. God, this being who created the universe, this being who even now sustains it, it can grow legs, it can raise the dead, it can do all things that are pleasing to him. But you know what's important to him? Those whom his son died for. People like us. We are the people of God in a dark world. Surely, out of all the people that live, we are the ones that have to believe him and trust him. I pray that the Holy Spirit would apply this, apply it to my heart, I'll tell you, but I pray that he would apply it to all our hearts today for his glory's sake. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Don't forget to visit gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk 